to have an opportunity to look into that series we've been in where they say this and Jesus says, but I say that. And what I really love about this series and those words, Jesus could have talked about anything. Become a monk. Go over here. Go do that. But instead, what he does is he deals with the most significant issues and stuff within our lives. And this morning is no different at all. We're going to be unpacking in Matthew chapter 6 what the Jesus says the world says and what he says. And I believe today, as we unpack this in this talk, we're going to be able to have some tools in our hands to change the trajectory of our life. And so, I would like to begin by just saying, New Jersey, the stats are in. Anxiety.com, how's that for a website? We're talking about anxiety and worry today. Jesus is unpacking that. Anxiety.com listed the 10 most stressed out states in America. Well, New Jersey was only ranked number three. Now, I don't know about you, I don't like being in third place. I like to win the race. I like to win what's going on. And I'm like, well, why are we only third? I don't like the Mets in third, but maybe I would because they're not there yet. But the Jets, I want them in first place. The Yankees, we're in third place. But the reality is that there's a number one and a number two. The most stressed out state in America is Florida. <laughs> Anxiety.com, and if they're anxious about it, you know, they got to be right. Florida, and number two was Georgia. Also making the top 10 was North Carolina. Now, I don't know about you, but everybody I know moving out of New Jersey is going to Florida, Georgia, or North Carolina, and I wonder if we're shifting this whole dynamic down there. I have no idea, but one of the things that stresses us out is we live in the most densely populated state in America. Did you know there are actually 1,196 people per square mile? Now, in case you want to put that into perspective, what it means is that every person in New Jersey gets four square feet of free space in the state. Four square feet. That's it. If you put everybody together, we'd have the whole place filled in. Well, I don't know about you. I'm not sure I just want four square feet. But we live in a densely populated place. When asked about the principal times of the day that people worry, guess when it is? 9 p.m. to 3 in the morning. 55% of the people who responded to the survey said, that's my primary time of doing the duty of worry. And from that comes a lack of sleep. And from that comes all sorts of physical problems that we've recently been hearing about. So if you didn't have anything to worry about then, worry about the fact we're not sleeping. It's kind of a mess. Well, Jesus goes right to the heart of this topic 
And I believe today we can come out of here with a very different perspective. That's why Jesus did these, this is what they say, but this is what I say. Well, what is worry in the first place? Webster defines it like this. It's mental distress or agitation. Who doesn't get agitated? Resulting from concern, usually for something impending or anticipated. Mental distress or agitation, that seems right. Resulting from a concern, yeah, hopefully we have concerns. Something impending or anticipated. To think about problems or fears. To feel or show fear and concern because you think something bad has either happened or could happen. Wiki says this, worry refers to the thoughts, the images, the emotions, the actions of a negative nature in a repetitive, looping, uncontrollable manner that results from a proactive cognitive risk or fear. Say, so that kind of sums us all up. That's what worry is. Well, if you've been around a little while, you kind of hear that worry is a negative kind of thing. But when you look at it in particular, this word worry has a lot of different subsets of meaning. We lump these into this one word called worry. I don't know if you know this, but English, and I know some of these things, is kind of the Costco or the Sam's Club or the Walmart of languages. The reason it works so well is because it kind of fits all sorts of stuff. And you can take one word, worry, and lump all these different things within it, some of them actually good, and some of them really kind of bad. So if I'm wondering about how I should plan my week and wondering how to get everything fit into it, that's not worry. That's called active planning, a good thing. But we run down the scale and we can wind up concerned about things that may never happen. I heard someone say once that, oh my gosh, my life has been filled of disasters, full of woes, full of problems, full of people disappointing me, full of the worst possible things that could happen to you, most of which never did happen to me. In other words, our minds can just be so embroiled in things that could happen but won't happen. It's not really progressively and productively solving the issues of life. Rather than that, it's spinning around, so to speak, spinning around in a way that's causing us to have huge amounts of anxiety and probably to be very stuck. It is into this story that Jesus says, they say that, but I say this. Worry can have an effect on our daily life. So much as it says that it may interfere with our appetite. This is from WebMD. Worry can affect your daily life so much that it can interfere with your appetite. Well, maybe that's not all that bad, at least for me. Lifestyle habits, relationships, sleep, and job performance. Many people who worry excessively are so anxiety-ridden that they seek relief in somewhat harmful lifestyle habits, overeating, whatever we're doing, all to excess. And I love the fact Jesus is so street level. He says, this is what I want to talk about. 
I want to talk about this because I want you sleeping at night because I don't want you to be worrying about things endlessly as if no one is watching for your life. And so when I look at these things, I find out in his original language that Jesus said powerful things. This is what he said. This is what he unpacked. Therefore, I tell you. That's our series. They said, I say. Therefore, I, I tell you. Don't worry about your life. Can you take a deep breath? Don't worry about your life. What you will eat. Do you have enough charcoal in the grill? <laughs> or what you will drink? Or about your body? Or what you will wear? Is life not, import, not more important than these? Take life, take eating, take drinking, take your body, take what you wear. That's about 90% of it. If you don't have enough worry about your life, take a lot and worry about your job. Not about your job, worry about what you wear. If that's not enough, worry about what you're doing or what you may be doing. And then he says, is not life more important, this is why he challenges us to calm down, do effective problem solving and planning, but not to endlessly spin, finding in our life a worry about all the things that are probably not going to happen. And he says, because isn't life more important than this? And the word for life, we have this word life. Again, we go back to Walmart and Sam's Club. Life can mean anything. It can be bios, which is physical life, zoe, which talks of like a spiritual life, all these things in the original language. But it's not even any of those words. It's the word that speaks of the breath of God within us that's created us in his image, now forming something called a soul. We have a soul. It's a mesh of our personality and our giftedness, our abilities, the image of God within us. We're so unique that no one individual on earth, past, present, or future, will ever have the same thumbprint that you have. And so what Jesus is saying is, life's a little more important than some of these things. Because he really made us to enjoy him and enjoy his creation forever. And so he's saying these things are here, life, and what you're eating and what you're wearing and all these things, these things are out there, but, but you're more important than just hightail running as if those are the only important things. I, I think underneath this, and I was thinking of this like, what do you eat? What am I thinking? The restaurants in Mendham are going to close tomorrow forever? What I wear? The Short Hills Mall's finished. The last shoes on earth are going to be there. You know, think of all the stuff we run, we talk about. And, and then I, I start to say, well, those are worries. But I think what it is, as we see in a moment, what Jesus is saying, they're saying about life, is those on the first tier 
But if I am consumed by those things, where then does it take my soul? If I'm going to be a world-class warrior, person racked with anxiety, concerned that whoever gets the most toys wins with all of the gusto of my life and I'm foregoing my relationships and the things by which God gave me this thing called the God image soul, I wonder where it then takes me. And then, and then Jesus, he kind of says, he says, this is what I say, but, but this is what he says. And he, and he talks about the birds. He says, look at the birds. The birds, they don't sow. The birds, they don't reap. You probably have woodpeckers, we do, just knocking things, knocking things, looking for those little bugs and stuff. And Jesus says, they don't, they don't sow, they don't reap, they don't store in barns. Squirrels do, but they don't. And he says, your heavenly Father, he, uh, he takes care of them. And, and, and aren't you more important than a bird? Some of us saying, I don't know. Sometimes I feel I am, and sometimes I feel I'm not. Well, here's some good news today. He says, you are more valuable than a bird. And Jesus says, if he took care of the birds, why wouldn't he take care of that which he gave the image of God in? And then he kind of turns it, and he talks about these, these people that they said. And he said that they said and these were the Paganos. These are the people of the marketplace. These were people that chose not to be followers of God and people who just were living for whatever they can experience in this moment. He said, these people, they run. They run. They run after these things. They're running for every moment of their life, running to see everything that they can collect, running and probably not even knowing where they're running, why they're running. They're just running. And as they're running, they're collecting stuff. And why they have all that, they have no idea. But they're hard, passionate, out of breath, running, people going berserko. And, you know, the world we live in kind of, you know, our whole economy is based a little bit on that. Send all your emails to John, by the way. But it's really true <laughs> that our economy is based on <sighs> panting for <sighs> whatever's next. We're running, we're running, we're running. So Jesus is saying, well, they say run. But I say don't worry. The world says run even though you don't know where you're running and why you're running, but I say you're more important than a bird. You're more valuable than they are. And so how do I settle myself down? How do I get out of this? It's not wrong to enjoy the creation that he's given us. And to realize, as we'll find in a few moments, that he actually does cool things for our life. But when something goes off within us and our soul starts to get shattered in the process, and actually, and this to me was stunning because I'd never seen this before, the word worry that Jesus uses it's not for being proactive. It's not for planning. It's not for achieving all that you can achieve. 
because he wants us to achieve what he has put within our hearts and to be able to impact society in as big a level or whatever level that you can. All that is good and none of that is worry. Worry is this word in the original language to go to pieces. So Jesus says, well, they say run after everything. And I say, hey, don't get going to pieces on this. Don't let your soul get shattered. Don't give up your soul for what you think is the race, and it's not the race. And so you think about what the shattering, I saw a video, I wish I could have it. Tim was in England, I couldn't get him to do it. But someone took a, I'm like, who would do this on earth? Took a CD and put a CD on some kind of a contraption. These are called the slow-mo people. It's a great YouTube series. They put stupid stuff on the end of stupid stuff and they speed it up until it blows apart. So they had a CD and they got it up to 125,000 rotations per whatever unit it would be used. And all of a sudden, the CD starts to warp in four places and then, Bam, it shatters in a process. And I think to myself, that's kind of what happens. We're going along fine, stuff gets revved up, and suddenly we start to warp. Or someone tells you, you're warped. And you start to warp, and before you know it, what it means to be a human gets shattered. And Jesus is saying, don't go to pieces. That term came out in the, in the 1880s, going to pieces. So we've used it for about 140 years, and it just talks about a machine that's just flown off, and now everything's on the floor. Well, how can I settle down out of this? What did he say? If I'm not supposed to run after this stuff, how can I really be in a place of not going into pieces? I would like to believe today, for my own life, for your lives, that we hear these words as he is speaking to us about being at peace, active but at peace. He said this, number one, I got you. You're not on your own. I got you. I got your back. You're more important than a bird. If I love the birds, believe me, I gave you a fingerprint. I gave you an identity. I gave you a soul. I know the plans I have for you. They're plans not only to prosper you, but they're plans to use you in a powerful way. I know you. I've got your back. You say, but David, we lose our jobs. David, people buy out our companies. We move from here to there. If you've really got my back, then why do these things happen to me? And we never stop to think there are probably reasons beyond our understanding for why he moves us from here to there, from this job to that job. You know, when I look at this book of the Old and the New Testament, we call it, you know, and, and all of the stories of the women and men that moved. Some moved for famines. Some moved for jobs. Some moved because people were chasing them. Some moved because it was the thing to do. Some moved for reasons they didn't even know. But no matter where they wound up, they look back and go, God was in this. You know, I read things, you read things. How many times do I read the stories about really successful men and women and they say the best thing that ever happened to me is I got fired. 
Best thing that ever happened to me is I failed. Best thing that ever happened to me is I got passed over and the best thing that ever happened to me is my company got bought out and there I am and suddenly I've got to do something else. But I don't want to do something else. I'm in a race and everybody's running. And God says, yeah, I know, I know, I know, but I love you so much. Out of this is going to come that because I got your back. How many guys I know that, that got fired from stuff and they look back and go, this is the most beautiful thing that ever happened to me. Those people that succeed so deeply are usually people that understand that failure is not a bad thing. Change is not a bad thing. And so many of the times I believe that God, who has your back in mind, moves the situations in such a way so as not to have our souls get shattered because he loves us. Number two, you are important to him. You say, I don't know I'm important to him. Well, that's a problem. That's something we got to deal with. Some of us may be experiencing what they call the dad pain and some the mom pain and whatever pain you had. You know, it's just pain. And maybe dad wasn't there for you. Maybe mom wasn't there for you. Maybe whoever wasn't there for you. And so it's a little hard to think that somebody you don't see readily all the time, God, is really going to have your back. How few of us are able to say that we are now where we thought we'd be 20 years ago. Maybe 20 years ago we said we thought we'd be doing this and we're doing that. 20 years ago we thought we were on top of everything that there could be on top of it. It was going to be our face on every magazine. And then all of a sudden all these things started to change and with that change, I found my soul. I found my soul. You are important to him. So the little lies that come into our ears that say we're not have to be repositioned, Jesus would say. Number three, and, and I love this. He says, don't worry about this stuff. This is great. He says, because I know you need them. You need jobs. You need friends. You need community. That's why I love small groups. Because I love to see what God's doing in people's lives, and I don't always get that in regular life. But get me with a group of about 12 people who are going through the same thing, and, and they're hearing, and you're hearing the stories and the journeys of how they found God in the biggest amount of failure it teaches and encourages me. So when I think of these things, I realize that he knows that we need certain things. Look, we need adventure. We need challenges. We need people. We need hills to kind of conquer. We need peace. We need rest. We really need, if we're in a marriage, our spouse and our kids and all that stuff with neighborhood, what it means to be human. The thing about when I read this, of this God who says, I know you need him, he, he is so cool 
about bringing surprises, some we like, some we don't like, into our lives. You know, we had some people stay over this weekend, really, really dear friends of ours. And uh, the one gal, she's got two kids. They're not in the room, so I can mention this. And yesterday, I said, the first person who sees a hummingbird gets a surprise. So the young girl, she was right on it. She apparently saw a hummingbird. So at that moment, I knew I was in for a surprise reward. And, And the fun thing about it, I think at least 12 to 15 times from 3 o'clock in the afternoon to this morning, she said, do you have my surprise? Do you know what it is? And I go, yeah. She goes, well, can I know? I go, no, then it's not a surprise. She said, well, can I ask you yes and no questions? You know, and I'm like, she was like right on that. And when I came back, it's so exciting because I'm going to give her a great surprise. You know, give me some, yeah, it's going to be a good surprise. And brother too, I hope you saw a hummingbird. But, but in there, it reminded me that we as children of the Lord, of God, we loved surprises too. When was the last time you had a surprise? Well, it wasn't a good one. Well, you know, God can give you great surprises, too. You just have to keep your eyes open for them because they're there if you find them because he's the same as you and I. We like to grant surprises. He knows what you need. He knows what makes you socks go up and down. He loves you. And if you look, you'll find it. Okay, the fourth thing he said was simply this. He said, focus on the kingdom and things kind of slide our way. What? Well, you know, the, the people who say run after everything you can run for, run for your life to find whatever you can find, and why you find it, you have no idea. Well, one of the things is they have to be their own God because they've decided that they can do it themselves. Wise is the woman or man who says, I was never built to do this myself. God isn't a crutch. God is just a gracious, wonderful, heavenly Father who is beyond our wildest imagination and expectations. And he said this. I mean, only God can say this. He said, hey, here's the truth of life. If you seek everything else first, it's probably going to slip through your fingers. You won't even enjoy it. But if you seek me, says this right here. He says, if you seek first his kingdom, it's the Father's kingdom, and rightness, just doing right stuff, doing Guatemala, buying shoes, using what you have in fun, great ways. He said, all these things, all these things, all these things will, will, not may, will be given to you. So in a sense, they say, run yourself ragged and go to pieces trying to find happiness in life and all the stuff. Or you can just find me as your father and look for the thing of me in life and be involved with people up to your ears if you want to. And guess what? I'll slide things your way. 
He said, all these things, not half of them. He said, I know what you need, and I can slide this stuff over to you anytime I want to. Say, well, why is he sliding more to me? Well, maybe it isn't a time to slide. It's a time to rest in him and get to know him because character really does count. And so the times that we're on a little hiatus here, a little hiatus there, it's not the end of the line. It's just an opportunity for him to draw that character deep so that he can give us cool stuff that we can impact the world with. So think of all the cool stuff in our thoughts and whatever we do, the contribution to the world, whatever God's given you. You can't outgive God. Try it. It doesn't work. When you give, just like he said, it'll be given to you. Wait, I don't need any more, Lord. Yeah, I know, but here it is. I know what you need. But I'm going to give it away. Give it away. More than, it'll come back. It's just the way he is. And then the last thing he says is this. He says, focus, focus on one day at a time. Now, now, remember, he's not talking about not planning. He's not talking about not investing in your future and investing in people and being proactive with what gifts God has given you and business acumen, what he's saying is this whole going to pieces thing, if you think you're going to pieces, just go to pieces over this day. Tomorrow has enough go to pieces problems of itself. So if you're still in the go to pieces mode, every day has enough for yourself. Just concentrate on today. Slim it down. Janine always says, we used to say this thing, what if? I'd say, well, honey, what if? What, what if? What if? What if? What, what, what if? And Janine always answer, what if? Go, yeah, kind of hasn't happened, has it? We're like directors that in a plot from 9 p.m. to 3 in the morning. What we do is just juice it up, amp up the script, the characters that are giving us trouble. We give them even more audacity, and the words are even more accentuated. This, I guess, is why the word says, don't let the sun go down on your anger, because the sun sleeping, and the snoring, and all of that, the mind just goes and goes and goes. So how do I do it today? What do I do? What decision can I make today? One for me, the most beautiful illustrations that I see in his word, and, and it's so cool because it relates at least to my world. He says, cast, cast your cares on him because he cares for you. When I was a little boy, I was seven years of age on the New Jersey shore, Seabright, New Jersey. I had it in my mind to become a surf-casting genius. Uh, had my mom buy this enormous pole that to a seven-year-old had to at least reach to the ceiling here. And uh, I had everything. I had those ugly, ugly worms and all that stuff. Man, I trooped down to the beach and didn't think of the tide, didn't think of the fish. And I, I, with all my seven-year-old, and I was a small kid, it, it would probably wouldn't even cast to the sound booth back here. And I never caught a fish because I was just too small at that time. But I got older, and now with a fish casting rod, I can put it out there. 
And what I hear Jesus saying is simply this. Cast all your cares upon me because I care for you. What is the thing that's breaking you to pieces? Take that and cast it. Cast it. Cast it with ferocity, with courage, with fulfillment upon him who catches it and he alone knows how to deal with it. He knows how to deal with it.